0: Shalom Aleichem, welcome to The Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Marjorie Ingle. Marjorie is columnist for Tablet and a regular contributor to the New York Times Book Review. For seven years, she wrote the East Village Mamala column for the Jewish Daily Forward. She's been a contributing editor to numerous national magazines and is the author of The Field Guide to North American Males and the recently published Mamala Knows Best. Welcome, Marjorie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. A wonderful book, uh, if I may say, even for a (laughs) non-parent. Well, that is lovely to hear. (laughs) Though it's going to head down to a new parent (laughs) soon after. Excellent. So uh, you've looked at parenting through a Jewish lens, I think it's safe to say, um, drawing on tradition and sharing stories about how generations of Jewish mothers have raised, as you say, successful, creative, empathetic, independent children. And... What struck me was the question of Jewishness and parenting, and wonder, do you see it as, um, for lack of a better word, a method or part of our cultural heritage? Oh, what an interesting question. Um, I do think it's
1: sort of ingrained in our cultural heritage. Um, You know, I don't think, you know, despite this being shelved in parenting, that there's this, you know, do four things the Jews do and you will, you know, pop out a, a Nobel Peace Prize winner or whatever. Um, But I think that given Jewish history and culture and tradition and the fact that we have survived as a people in both these super, you know, anti-Semitic and super acculturated, comfortable settings throughout history um, has given us a sort of unique perspective. And I think that the values that have both helped us survive as a people and have made um, Jewish kids and then adults so creative and flexible as thinkers um, are adaptable in a a bunch of different kinds of cultures and situations.
0: Yeah, it was sort of fascinating to see that weave itself through the book. And I wonder which came first for you, not to use the chicken and the egg (laughs) analogy, but um, so you're a parent, Um, And you write about a lot of personal experiences raising your daughters. Um, And I just wonder, did you seek out or try to find the connection with Jewishness or, you know, in trying to figure out how to parent? Or did you set out to figure this out all in advance?
1: Um, You're giving me way too much credit if you think there has been any deliberation in my career whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I uh, had just had a newborn and the foreword came to me. Um, somebody who had been a fan of my writing when I was at Sassy magazine asked if I wanted to do a story about um you know, I, I, I'm I love to research. I, it's my you know, it's also the way I procrastinate rather than writing. So I had done all this work on figuring out what um a simchat bot, what a uh, you know, a Jewish welcoming ceremony for a little girl could be and I was really interested in it and they uh, the editor knew uh, a cousin of mine in the great land of Jewish geography and said, You know, do you want to write this piece? And I enjoyed it. Um, but, uh, and for a while, I really enjoyed the process of writing about my own baby and toddler, both because I happen to be blessed with an <laughs> extraordinarily colorful one, a very challenging uh, kid, but also because when you're writing about, parenting small children, you're really writing about yourself, and it's an interesting process of self-discovery and figuring out what your values are. And, uh, you know, especially when you're in that first hormonal blush, everything seems miraculous. And then as your kids get older, um, I think they start to, they're they're not you anymore, and they should have an expectation of privacy. Um, So I did a column for Tablet about how I was not going to be writing about my own children anymore. Once I think the older one was ten, without their permission. And now um, I do sometimes tell stories about them, but only once they've vetted the stories. Mm-hmm. So um, they got—they uh, both were offered the opportunity to take anything they wanted out of this book before it was
0: published. I won't ask the question if they do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I
1: was—I was, was actually surprised. The um, the younger one said she. she said, that she would, there was one story before I even began writing she didn't want in there, and I there's no way I would tell, you know, a story whose sole purpose was to humiliate a kid, so mm-hmm. that was not in there at all, and the older one uh, let me keep in all the stories about what an incredibly, I said challenging before, so now let's think of a word that isn't bratty, but, um, you know, what a, a strong-willed, what a, a leadership potential, bossy child she was, Um, But she wanted me to think hard about pronouns, um, that she is of this very fierce, you know, intersectional feminist generation, she's 14, um, where she just wanted to make sure that I didn't use only his and her pronouns, that I also used they. Um, And uh, she felt really strongly about it.
0: Um, So I did. I'll jump ahead and ask you, um, are they at a place where they can appreciate the parenting?
1: Yes. Um, to a degree. You know, we still had a, a screaming tantrum yesterday about uh, school, about the, the volleyball forms not being completed, which I would like to point out is not my fault because they are at the doctor's office and I can't make the doctor fax them. Um, but uh, in general, I think they appreciate that they, to some degree, have more freedom than other New York City kids their age. I write a lot about the book about encouraging them to take public transportation on their own when they were perhaps younger than other kids do it, um, encouraging them to walk places on their own. And I think they know that um, I'm interested in their intellectual and moral lives. And we talk about politics, and we talk about Jewish labor history, and we talk about, you know, um, feminism. And I think that they do appreciate being taken seriously as thinkers.
0: I I have to say that I love that throughout the book. You shared a lot of those personal stories, and it gave me a really deep appreciation for both my mother and my father and the way they oh. chose to parent. Um, I love
1: hearing
0: that. It just, and it was interesting because it made me question what of that um, was the Jewishness, and so that's why I was curious about the, the cultural heritage question.
1: I You know, I don't know. I don't, you know, to just cut this off at the past, I don't think Jews are smarter than other people, but I think that the fact, if I had to pick one of the attributes in the book, I think the fact that we really value storytelling, mm-hmm. um, that this is such, both in the Ashkenazi and Sephardi tradition, there is this, you know, we are, there's, there's a reason they call us the people of the book, and it's not just, you know, I feel strongly about a, as, about this as a parenting issue today, that storytelling isn't just, you know, reading a novel. It can be listening to the moths, It can be telling family history stories. It can be listening to podcasts. It can be books on tape in the car. Um, I just aged myself by calling it books on tape. <laughs> um, but... I, you know, I just feel like we this you know the Talmudic tradition of arguing is also so such a big part of who we are, and I think that that's really good for kids to see that you can disagree fervently with someone and still have respect for them, so yeah, I just think the storytelling thing is so under appreciated as um, you know a means to all kinds of intellectual and moral and political engagement. Mm-hmm. And in fact, um, one of the books I cite in my book is um, a book called The Smartest Kids in the World that looks at diff- education in different countries and what is seems to be effective across really different kinds of, you know, cultural settings. And one thing that is so strongly correlated with student achievement is reading and talking about social
0: issues. Mm-hmm. And, it's, yeah, those conversations and, uh, you know, having opinions and allowing somebody to have an opinion at an early age is a great thing.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I do hear a lot of parents say, oh, you don't think that to their kids. And I just think I, I inwardly wince, <laughs> you know. Um, oh, you don't want to read that. You know, don't tell a kid what they want and what they know.
0: Um, you draw on sort of some historical examples of Jewish mothers um, who serve as an inspiration. And I'm wondering if there was one particular woman who stood out in all of this for you.
1: Maybe because she's nothing like me, I was so struck by the Andy Londonderry stuff. Mm-hmm. She w- was a self-promoter, was what she was, and she was an athlete. And she uh, rode her bike across country back then you know, women riding bicycles at all was, you know, horrifying and shocking. And she just figured out how to, um, like, like Amelia Earhart, you know, she figured out how to market herself as this sort of, she, you know, she adorned, you know, way pre-Tour de France. She was adorning herself and her bike with logos. Um, she left her husband and children to do this and, of course, made a ton of money when she came back. Um But it just felt so, you know, not like any Jewish mother stereotype I'd ever heard of. Um, And it was so savvy. And she came back and she told these stories of these completely fabricated adventures that she had on the road with, you know, tigers and being thrown into pits. And, um, you know, she probably didn't do all the biking that she said she did. She took ship. Um, But just, you know, the... It's so not what you think of as the stereotype of the Jewish mother that I was completely tickled and fascinated, and I'm hoping somebody does a children's book
0: about her. She, she was quite an amazing <laughs> character, and you began to yes. sort of visualize her. Um, and you did, in the process of writing this, you have been able to, I think it's safe to say, dispel the stereotype of the Jewish mother, um, as depicted in much of the yeah. media. Yeah. You know,
1: I, I don't I don't deny that there is a grain of truth there, but the, but it's a portrait of a very specific portrayal in Jewish history, a a, a specific point in Jewish history, Mm -hmm. which is post-war, post-Holocaust, when, you know, you can hardly blame mothers for wanting to cling a little more tightly to their children, and also a time when, you know, Jews were really starting to acculturate and the younger generation was starting to move out into the suburbs and were kind of embarrassed of their parents' Accents and urban, steadily ways, and you also have Jewish men suddenly having a real voice in the culture in both high culture, literature. Um, you know the the Philip Ross and the comedy and the the Woody Allens, and they're the ones who are driving this stereotype forward. And then I feel like sort of the sitcom really pushed it even further, um, but when you widen the lens and look back over the vast span of Jewish history, you know, you see that that's only one kind of Jewish mother. It's not the Jewish mother.
0: And you, you mentioned the father as well. The beginning of your book, you tell the story about your father and his writing this um, ethical will for you and your brother when you were yes. very small. May I read it? Please. Okay, because I think I'd love to hear you comment on it. I am so proud of you. I would not want better children. I would like you to do the following. Be what you choose. Help other people, whether this is your work or not. This is critical to the survival of man and the worth of man in this world. Help other people. Help other people to feel good about themselves. That gives you a wonderful feeling, too. Belch loudly at the dinner table. It is a compliment to the chef and a long-established Ingalls tradition. Teach your children this above all. Always laugh and sing and make music.
1: And I'm desperately trying not wonderful. to cry, I Even as, as I've read this eight million times, you know. I think he was he actually wrote this when he was in the hospital after his first heart attack, which was when he was thirty nine. Mm-hmm. So we hadn't really done that much to make him be proud of us <laughs> yet. We were still little. And I you know, I think part of I mean, I think that there's a lovely dark, gothy, um, black humor thread in Judaism too <laughs> yes. that my dad certainly embodied. He was convinced that the Molochamovis was chasing him all the time. Uh it finally did catch him when he was sixty four. Um, so at least he got to see one of his three granddaughters. But, you know, I just love that this notion of, you know, laugh was so much a part of who he was and what he wanted for us.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a great roadmap. Um, if that's, that's what, what more would we want for children? Um, yeah, laugh, make people yeah. feel
1: good, and try to help people.
0: And, and, I, and uh, yeah. you know,
1: he did all those things himself. And um, I think, you know, if I may say so, I think my brother and I are doing a pretty good
0: job at carrying that on. And it sort of sets up for the the kind of, in a way, the tenor of the book, which is such a combination of ideas um, and encouragement um, for others to be really supportive, encouraging parents who allow... Little little people, if I can call them that, um, to just to evolve in good ways yeah. and find I that support. Wait, I,
1: I spent a lot of time writing for women's magazines, mm-hmm. which are about pretty much to a great degree the opposite of making people feel good. You know, they capitalize on insecurity and anxiety and focusing perhaps on the wrong things and it was very important to me to write a book that was not about making people feel panicked and bad. You know, there's really, really nobody needs to write another parenting book after Dr. Spock said, trust yourself, you know more than you think you do.
0: Mm-hmm. And I wanted
1: to get sort of, you know, we have the culture screaming at us so much about, you know, stuff that is irrelevant and stuff that conveys bad values to our kids, that I think if we all do listen to the the still small voice, if I can, you know, take a high holiday metaphor. Mm-hmm. We know what's what's right and good and we know how to make our kids into good people and we just have to listen to ourselves.
0: Well, very well put. Um, Thank And you. was there anything about writing this that surprised you? Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I, I ghost write books for other people and at tablet I file one or two researchy stories a, a week. So I was shocked at how hard this book was for me to write. I wasn't sure what voice to use. You know, I, have a, we, I also do a blog called Sorry Watch with a friend of mine that looks at apologies in the news and history and the media and pop culture. And, you know, I, I love doing that because I get to write in this super bloggy, unedited, informal, ranty, all caps voice. And, you know, tablet is more journalistic most of the time. So I wasn't sure, you know, and I wanted, I, my best friend who's a novelist read the first draft and said, you don't trust your own authority, uh, that I kept quoting other people like this was a serious academic tome. And, you know, I had gazillions of footnotes. And both she and my editor were like, this is not the book you should be writing. So eventually I figured out how to prune, it's a lot shorter, and how to, you know, how to bring out a sort of funny, you know, Sticky voice that isn't, hopefully, too far, and that still allows the research to shine, but without um, w- without making it heavy. You know, my, my my sort of nonfiction writing idol is Mary Roach,
0: mm-hmm. who
1: does these sort of sciencey researchy books that are in this very funny first person voice. Um, and I saw that the Jewish Journal called said that I sounded like Nora Ephron meets Wendy Mogul, which is about the nicest thing anybody has ever said.
0: It's a very accessible book. I love the fact that you've got the research in there because it really does speak to a broader audience. um, Thank you. And encourages. So the book is available now in bookstores, including the Yiddish Book Center's online and on-site bookstore. Um, Oh, cool. Again, Mamala Knows Best. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you. Well, thank you for the book, and thank you for joining us today. Take care. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Shmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit yiddishbookcenter.org. I'm Alexis Owing. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon.